And now Julie is going to bring us our readings. Isaiah chapter 62. You can find it on page 719 of the Pew Bibles. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The Gospel reading is from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 99 of the New Testament. The wedding at Cana. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that you will open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, first of all, can I say uh, a huge thank you to you for your welcome. It's really good to be back at St. Juan's. And if you're thinking to yourself, we've never seen him before, uh, we actually came here on our first ever Sunday in Jersey. We tried to sneak under the radar. That didn't work. Um, but it is really good. So St. Juan's has a sort of special place in our, uh, in our hearts. And uh, I love that reading we've just heard from John chapter 2. You've read it there in the Bible. Let everybody get drunk before you serve the good stuff. It's a good thing to take away from the sermon today, isn't it? Weddings. I love love taking weddings. There is something really special about standing with a couple as they come to commit themselves to each other before God uh, and, um, and, and, and make those special vows together. Unfortunately... Those moments, those sacred moments, can be shattered (laughs) with the unexpected. (laughs) Uh, Let me give you an example. In one of my former churches when I was in Kent, uh, we had some uh, lighting that ran along the wall like yours does here, but it was the old-fashioned lighting, which were great big sodium, high-pressure lamps with bulbs this long. And when they go, they go off like a hand grenade. And when I say hand grenade, I mean hand grenade and uh, one of the bulbs at the far end of the the, uh, the the church went and this thing exploded and a shard of glass this long came hurtling down the aisle cut the bride and put blood on her dress so you know uh, service went with a bang yes um, but it's not quite what we expected uh, I've had some extraordinary, spectacular things in 30 years happen to me at weddings. I had a, a wedding once where we had two enormous, great big pedestals either side. And uh, it was the middle of the summer, the back of the church, the doors were open. And just as the couple exchanged their vows, both of them fell over, sort of in unison, spectacularly together like this, towards each other, just sort of crashed on the ground. Uh, I've had horses attend a wedding. That's, uh, that was quite a refreshing one. That was uh, when I was a priest in Zimbabwe, and for those of you, yes, I did know Tim Neal 30 years ago. I'm sorry to have taken him away from you, but he's the perfect man for the job where he's gone. Um, so two horses came in. The, bride, the, the groom and the best man arrived on horseback. A little detail they forgot to tell me, and they forgot to tie up the horses. So in the middle of the service, the horses came in and, uh, and joined in. <laughs> Dear, oh dear. I've had a bride turn up one hour and 50 minutes late for her own wedding. That was uh, spectacular. I'll tell you the reason for that afterwards, because frankly I can't tell you in church. I did a wedding in Zimbabwe once where seven brides were all being married at the same time, all in a big long row. And it was right out in the middle of the bush, in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And the verger from the other church was supposed to be bringing the registers over, and he forgot. And it was a hundred mile round trip to go and get them. So we left them there singing and dancing, and two and a half hours later we came back and they were still singing and dancing, and, uh, and, uh, and we had a great wedding. So frankly, wine running out at a wedding is a bit of a doddle compared to some of the stuff that I've had to deal with uh, in 30 years. But you know, one of the things that I really love about that reading is just how ordinary it is. Now you may say to me, hang on a minute, Mike. Six stone jars, 30 gallons each, 180 gallons of wine. You cannot file that under ordinary. That is a spectacular party. But that's not what I mean. 
Uh, hands up those who were here on Christmas Eve for midnight. You will have heard that immense reading from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, the light shines in the darkness, etc., etc. This spectacular, sort of cataclysmic overview of God's presence coming down from heaven to earth to be here so that we can become his adopted children. It really is the most majestic opening to uh, the Gospel of John. That's one chapter earlier than we heard today. And where do we see this spectacular, sort of universal great thing happening? In a settlement, not even a village, just a tiny little hamlet at an ordinary event amongst ordinary people in an ordinary place. Jesus has come to overcome the darkness, and it all starts at a party. (laughs) I just love the idea of that. A wonderful sense of overkill, joy, overflowing. But there's a problem, and that's commonplace too. They've run out of wine. Someone's made a mistake. It happens all the time. We run out of coffee. We run out of patience. Gosh, we run out of time. It's an ordinary problem. And Jesus' first miracle is not this great, spectacular, world-changing thing. He takes the ordinary water and he makes it extraordinary wine. I would add, I'm really, really good at doing the opposite, as most of us are. He takes the ordinary and he turns it into the extraordinary And I don't think anybody had a clue how that was going to work out. And John says at the end of that, Jesus thus revealed his glory and and his disciples put their faith in him. Well, that's an awful lot to hang on to a tiny little event. So what is that telling us? That is telling us that Jesus is the Lord of the ordinary. And that's really important to hear. And the reason it's important to hear is that I believe that we think sometimes that we're just not quite important enough for God. We actually think we're ordinary and that there's nothing extraordinary about us. We often hear people using super spiritual language to describe what's going on in their lives and we think, why isn't this happening to me? Why is my life so, you know, undramatic and and ordinary? Why has God never done anything extraordinary in me? Well, first of all, I don't believe that. I don't believe that we are ordinary. And God has done extraordinary things in us. God works in everybody's life. And we all have a Tory. Tory. (laughs) No, we don't all have a Tory. We all have a story to tell. And actually, I don't think we tell our stories enough. Never mind out there to people who aren't. I don't think we tell our stories enough. Uh, amongst each other. I've been at the Archbishop's Council yesterday in England and we were asked in groups of clergy going from the Archbishop of Canterbury down to, to, to a curate, we were asked this question. What difference has knowing Jesus made in your life? And I watched some clergy there going, oh, um, um, uh. And they couldn't answer the question. Now that's extraordinary. Well, it's not extraordinary, it's the wrong kind of extraordinary. But it is extraordinary. 
Those are the kind of stories we should be telling of each other. Actually, I urge you afterwards, have a conversation about that over coffee. What difference has knowing Jesus made in my life? And your story will be extraordinary. It is your story about God, how God has been working in your life. I'd like to encourage you to reflect on how God has been working in your life. Chart the progress of discipleship. Maybe you're a little bit more tolerant or patient than you have been. That's God at work in you in an extraordinary way. Maybe you've learned to listen a little bit more or not leap in and escalate things so quickly. That's God's Spirit working in you. Extraordinary. Turning water into wine in your life. And when you look at the extraordinary things that Jesus did in the lives of the other, they weren't there to demonstrate what a superhero he was or how wonderful and powerful he was. He didn't spend much time with the powerful, with the self-important. The miracles that he did were done to show that he was working in a world that had lost its way. To restore what had fallen, to renew what had broken. He restored people's sight. He gave peace to the tormented. Think of the encounters he had. People like Zacchaeus. Jesus' greatest miracles were done amongst the ordinary, as he did here at a wedding. And that doesn't just apply to the New Testament. That applies to St. Juan's. It's in the process of daily living that God can take the ordinary things of our life and bring something quite extraordinary out of them. And the results can be amazing. The power to forgive when we have been hurt is the most extraordinary gift of God. And when we see that played out in people who have been so hurt by others and they learn to forgive, it's amazing. Because the world says, hit back, even the score make them pay and restored creation says forgive and the world will be a better place for it so I'd like you to think just how extraordinarily God uh, extraordinary things that God can do in your life generosity can come from selfishness you know how it is I don't know you might not have had this revelation in your life When, when you learn to give when, you really, when that spiritual gift of giving comes to you and you become God's hilarious giver. That's, that's, that's the word that the New Testament used. God's hilarious giver. When you just let it all rip because you can't help yourself. That is the most extraordinary thing happening in you. And God honours it. Love can come from hate. And the challenge of this passage is simply to lay down our daily lives at the disposal of Jesus and let him bring something extraordinary from it. And the result of that is that God's glory is revealed. Now I want to ask you a question here. How many of you think of yourselves as being a dispenser of God's glory? Well, that was an easy question to answer. We don't, do we? Because we don't think we're important enough or extraordinary enough. You are a dispenser of God's glory when he changes water into wine in your life. So I want to challenge you this week, tomorrow morning, 
to pray a prayer that goes something like this. Lord, take this day, this simple day, and through my actions and interactions and my routine or in my place of work or with my family, through the people that I will come into contact with, transform the ordinary into the extraordinary. Let your glory be at work in my life. Isn't that an amazing prayer to pray? It's the kind of prayer we should be praying every single day. Dispense of God's glory. But, and here's the catch, there's always a catch, isn't there? The turning of the water into wine did not happen without one crucial ingredient, and I'm not talking about water now. There is this really odd exchange between Jesus and his mother. Mary says... They have no more wine. Statements of the blindingly obvious. And Jesus says, Woman, my time has not yet come. It's a bit of an odd thing to say, really, isn't it? Sounds a bit rude of Jesus, really. And then Mary says to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. What's that all about? What's going on there? Well, by this time, Joseph will have died. Um, and Mary was used to asking her firstborn for help. Jesus, of course, had lots and lots of brothers. We know that because the scriptures tell us. Uh, and Jesus' response is unusual, to say the least. Woman, my time has not yet come. It literally means, Mother, let me handle this my way. <laughs> you can hear the inference, can't you? <laughs> so Mary tells the servants to do whatever he says. And that's the key, you see, because if God is to bring about the extraordinary from the ordinary in our lives, it will only happen when we are obedient to Christ. And we see that played out time and time again in the Gospels. Jesus tells the lepers to go and show themselves to the high priest. There is that sense of needing to respond to the person of Jesus. He tells the lame man to stand up and walk. He tells the disciples to cast their net on the other side. It's an action that's required of people. And we can't expect God to bring about change in our lives if we don't forgive the people around us, or if we pick and mix. Oh, do you remember Woolworth's pick and mix? <laughs> oh, it's gone. I used to love pick and mix. You get all the good stuff, couldn't you? You just hoard it all. <laughs> but we do that with our faith too. Cherry pick. Well, God's glory isn't going to be revealed where we just pick and choose, really. We can't expect to learn the meaning of generosity when we hold things close to us. We can't expect to grow as Christians if we don't spend time in prayer. It sounds like this prayer course is fantastic that, that Helen's doing. We're reading the scriptures. Obedience is the key to see the transformation of water into wine. The transformation of our ordinary lives into extraordinary lives. So, what will you do this week? to reveal God's glory in your life. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, that your glory was revealed in the person of Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But Lord, you call us on a journey too. You call us to follow you and to be your hands and your feet and your ears and your mouth and for us to reveal your glory. 
Help us this week, Lord, to be dispensers of that glory by transformed lives, by the change deep within us that you long for each one of us. Maybe something small in a relationship or an attitude. But Lord, you call us. You call us to walk with you. To be extraordinary. We pray that you will bring about that in our own lives through the work of your Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.